Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue our study on spiritual warfare and the army of God. As I have for the last several weeks running, I'm going to begin in verse 10, though our text is actually in verse 15 today. In verse 10, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Amen. Lord, give us understanding, I pray, and help us, Lord, to obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning is about having our feet, or having shod our feet, rather, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I want you to notice the the word order there. It doesn't say having your feet shod as though someone else were, were, were putting on those shoes for us, but it says having shod your feet. In other words, you are the one who is doing the shodding as it were. Most of you today are capable of putting on your own shoes. Isn't that right? And when you put on your shoes, you make sure that those shoes are securely on your feet. Have you ever participated in a sporting event of some kind? Just raise your hand. How many of you at some point in your life have participated in a sporting event? Maybe it was as part of an organized sports team. Maybe it was out on the playground at recess. But almost all of us can relate to having participated in some kind of sporting event. When you are getting ready to participate in a sporting event, what is one of the most important things that you can do in preparation for that event? Tie your shoes. Thank you very much. You know, when, you, when you're going to be on a long hike, what do you do? You, you tie your shoes. You, you, you cinch up those laces. You make sure that you've got a good fit on that foot. Uh, When I was in the army, one of the things that they taught us in basic training was one of the most important things that you can do as a soldier is take good care of your feet. Because a soldier with problems with his foot is an immobilized soldier. And an immobilized soldier isn't much good to himself or to anybody else. We need to have the ability to move quickly from one place to another, to stand firmly when we're engaged in the battle. 
I don't know if, if any of y'all have played football. I was not a particularly good football player, but I did play a little bit in high school. And one of the things that you know is that you can't get out there and play offensive line if you're wearing flat-soled shoes, can you? If you're out there and you're wearing the wrong kind of shoes, you're wearing basketball shoes, and you go up to push against that guy, what's going to happen to you? You're going to slide backwards. It's like you're on a pair of skis on that grass. You need some good cleats on your feet, something that's going to dig into the ground and give you firmness and strength from which to push, right? You need a firm foundation. And that's what is being talked about in this passage. We need to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And, and the preparation of the gospel of peace is something that we're going to talk about more in a moment or two. But, but I first want to talk about that idea of having shod your feet. The idea behind that word shod, we don't, we don't use the word shod today unless we're talking about the past tense of shoeing horses, right? But, but what it means is to undergird or to tie on or to, to strap on because the, the Roman soldier, they didn't have laces per se, but they would have th- those straps that would hold that, that sandal to their feet and wrap around the leg and it was on there securely. It wasn't going to come off. And these sandals that the Roman soldiers wore, they were not your, your typical every day out in the apocrypha kind of, you know, or out in the marketplace or whatever. They weren't those typical kinds of sandals. They were sandals that were thick-soled with, with heavy leather and, and, and spiked, sort of like golf cleats would be. They, they could dig in when it was time to fight. And, and there was a reason for them to have these kinds of thick-soled sandals because it was a practice in that day for enemies to set traps along the route that the soldiers might march where they would take sharpened sticks and bury them in the ground, covering them with a loose layer of dirt so that when the soldier stepped in that place, he would have his foot injured and be immobilized. And the enemy today has a desire to do that very thing to us. In Vietnam, our soldiers experienced many of the same things. As they would be walking through those jungles, there would be places where a pit had been dug or a hole had been dug in the path. And when they stepped, if their foot went in there, they could step on that sharpened bamboo and go right through the sole of their boot and into their foot and immobilize them. And of course, as a, as a response to that, our military began to put inside the sole of the boot a metal plate that would go, I don't know if any of you were ever in the army, but you could tell the difference when you were wearing a regular pair of combat boots versus a pair of jungle boots. Because those jungle boots had that slab of metal right there in the sole, made them a little more uncomfortable. But trust me, if you stepped on something sharp, you'd be glad it was there. And so... This idea of of having this appropriate footwear was vitally important to the soldier both in that day and in this day. And it's vitally important for us as well because what our feet are shod with speaks of how we walk. And how we walk is very indicative of how we live our lives. Your walk is the manner in which you conduct yourself or your life. 
earlier in Ephesians, Paul has already told us to walk worthily, to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. And the calling with which we are called is centered around the gospel message or the gospel of peace. Well, what does that mean, the gospel of peace? Well, the word gospel means good news, right? And peace is a state of being that describes both our emotional feeling, that sense of peace, but also whether or not we are in agreement with or in opposition to a particular person with whom we either do or do not have peace. So the gospel of peace is the good news that we who were once at war with God can now be brought back into relationship with God and be at peace with him, no longer rebelling against him, no longer standing in opposition to him, but walking in peace with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that we who were once enemies of God can now become the friends of God, the family of God, co-heirs with Christ as Paul has described in those first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life and died for our sins upon the cross and that the third day he rose from the grave enabling us to be forgiven for our sins and giving to us the gift of eternal life. Amen? And through that message, that gospel message, that good news, we can be at peace with God whereby we begin to acquire the peace of God in our lives. That's a glorious thing. And we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, to, to be prepared, or that word preparation, means to make ready. So we are to purposefully and diligently make ourselves ready through the gospel of peace. And not only are we to make ourselves ready through it, but we are to make ourselves ready to share it with others. Amen? Our calling as believers in Jesus Christ is to take that peace that we have received from God and through our witness and our words, that is through the way we walk and the way we talk, through the things we do and through the things we say, to make that same opportunity available to those who are still walking in opposition against him and to invite them to lay down their arms, to cease their rebellion and to receive through Jesus Christ reconciliation with God. And that is part of what we are called to do as soldiers of the cross. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans. Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8, Paul writes, but what does it say? He's speaking of the word of God. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Listen, friends, the gospel is not a complicated message. Now, don't get me wrong. We can have all kinds of complicated theologies. We can try to understand every little nuance and, and try to find answers to every little question. And that can all get very, very complicated. And it has gotten very, very complicated. And volumes upon volumes upon volumes of books have been written at which, in which people express their various opinions about all of the various attributes, aspects, details, and dogma regarding the Lord God, okay? But the gospel message, the central message of the Bible, the main point is easy to see. It is easy to communicate. And for those that will receive it, it can be easy to comprehend. For those who don't receive it, it's utter confusion to them. Paul says, listen, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you could be saved. You you might be saved. You should be saved. None of those. It says you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. In other words, our belief results in our righteousness. And that isn't just us. That began all the way back in Abraham's time. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. God is saying, do you believe me? Will you take me at my word? And if we won't believe him and if we won't take him at his word, then we remove from ourselves the opportunity to benefit from his blessings. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. In other words, those who were part of the old covenant, those who are part of the new covenant, the Jew, the Gentile, we all come to God in the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. For whoever, verse 13 says, calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him they have not believed? In other words, if we do not believe the gospel, then we're not going to call upon him. If we do call upon him, it is an implication that we believe the gospel. It is evidence of that fact. So how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? In other words, we look at the world around us. We look at our neighbors. We look at our coworkers. We look at those people in the press and, and in the news and on television. And, and these are the people that we see and that we watch and that we interact with. And we make assumptions about them. I, I just want to acknowledge this. We make assumptions about people. We do it every day. We do it all the time. We understand and know, at least in part, what our own experience has been. And we look at other people and we judge them so often based upon our experience. 
In other words, I know how to act within a particular social situation. I know that if I want a job at a fast food restaurant, I'll just use that as an example, okay? I know that if I want a job at a fast food restaurant, having been a Chick-fil-A operator at one time in my life, I know that when I show up to give them my application, I should already be dressed for that interview. Because there's a chance that when I hand them that application, they're going to say, well, hold on just a second. The manager's here. We really need to hire somebody. Let him talk to you right now. So I know that. I know that if I'm going to put in a job application, I need to be already dressed and ready to sit down and meet with that person. Now, I may and have at times seen young people walk into my restaurant back when I was a manager and they would put in their job application and they would be looking like they just rolled out of bed or, or, or you know, just looking like they've been working on their cars. They're not dressed and ready for a job interview. And I can look at them and I can think to myself, well, this person has no respect for this position. This person doesn't care. But you see, I'm basing my judgment of them based on knowledge that I have about how you should do it. And I'm assuming that they have had the opportunity to have that same knowledge. But you see, they might not. They might not know. They might just think, well, I'm just going in to drop this off. They haven't been prepared in that way. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make, and I don't know that I'm doing a very good job of it, is we have a tendency to judge the actions of others as though they were operating from the same base of knowledge that we are acting upon ourselves. We think that they know what we know, and so we judge them as though they did know what we know when they may not know what we know. And if they do not know what we know, then how could they make the decisions that we would make knowing what we know? You know? We assume that because there is a church every other block, that the people that we meet every day have been to one of them. We assume that because you can't scan through every channel on the dial without hearing a Christian teaching station, that the people that we meet on a regular basis have listened to them. We assume that because the gospel is so readily available on television or on the radio or on the internet or at the church down the street or in the Bibles that, that, that sit in every nightstand in every hotel across the country, we assume that the people we see every day have heard the gospel. We assume that they simply have chosen not to believe it. And we assume incorrectly There was a day in our nation where that assumption would have been far more reasonable than it is today. Because though we have readily accessible information today, that information has been buried by a world that is stuffed to the gills with information. In other words, rather than killing the lights the enemy has lit lots of other fake lights all over the place. 
And so people are left wandering around trying to get from one place to the other, not knowing the truth. Now I say all of this simply to say that we cannot assume that that person sitting next to to us on the bus or that young lady who is dropping off our food at our table or that teacher in whose classroom we are sitting or that other student across the classroom or that person that we are, are, are at a sporting event with or are on the same team. We cannot assume that they've heard the gospel. We cannot assume that they know the gospel. And when they behave as though they did not know the Lord, we shouldn't look at them and say, well, look at you, you heathen. We should say, look at you, you poor heathen. Not in judgment, but in compassion because they need the Lord. They need the gospel. And the gospel that they need, you have been given. Before you knew the Lord, did you know the Lord? Think about that. Before you knew the Lord, did you know the Lord? No. Somehow, someone, whether it was verbally or in print or through some other kind of media, had to introduce you to the truth of the gospel. And having been introduced to the truth of the gospel yourself, it is now incumbent upon you to introduce others to the truth of the gospel as well. Amen? We have been given that responsibility. Going back to Romans chapter 10, Paul says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I know that people are going to say, oh, well, there's a preacher. Yeah, you're the preacher. Ken, we're not preachers. No, no, no. A preacher in this context is simply someone who proclaims the truth. A preacher, a proclaimer, a herald, a messenger, if you will. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Amen? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Does that mean that they've had a nice pedicure and their feet are looking really nice? No, it means that we're glad to see them come. When you say, oh, how beautiful are the feet of someone, the feet are what brought them. How beautiful that they've come. How beautiful that they have brought this message. Listen, I want you to stop and think for a moment. Those of you who are born again, those of you who have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to think, if you can, of the person or people who introduced you to Jesus Christ. Stop right now and just think about them for a moment. How do you feel about that person? Were you glad? Are you glad? that God brought that person into your life? Are you glad that God gave you the opportunity to hear the message that they had to share? You might not have liked it at the time, but sitting where you sit today, looking back upon it across the weeks, months, years, decades, you're glad, aren't you? You're like, oh man, how beautiful that the Lord brought that person into my life because I was lost but now I'm found. 
I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but now I have the forgiveness of God and the blessing of eternal life. And there is joy in my heart because I know that I'm walking in right relationship with God. And that began because someone, somehow, somewhere at some time shared the gospel with you. Don't you want to be that person in somebody else's life? Amen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, Paul speaks of what has happened to us as a result of hearing the gospel. In verse 17, he says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So you, Christian, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we, he didn't say I, does he? Do you notice these are not pronouns that are reflecting solely upon Paul? but that these pronouns are plural in nature, we are included in what Paul is saying here. Not just Paul, not just the pastor, not just the evangelist, but we, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. When we go out into the world, our message is not simply, y'all better repent because you're going to go to hell. You know, that's not... Is there truth in that statement? Yeah, there's some truth in it. Yeah, there's truth in that. But that's not the heart of the message. The heart of the message is that God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but wills that all men come to repentance. The heart of the message is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Because the world was condemned already because it hadn't believed in the one that God would send. You see, the message that we have been given to share with the world is a message that says God wants you to be at peace with him. God wants you to lay aside your anger. He wants you to lay aside your animosity. He wants you to lay aside the weapons that you have fought against him with. And he wants to invite you not only into an armistice, but into an allegiance. 
He wants to bring you back to him so that you will no longer be at war with him, but will be at peace with him so that his peace can be manifested toward you. It is a laying down of arms, a setting aside of hostilities. It is a changing of allegiance from an allegiance to the world and to ourselves to an allegiance to the Lord. And when we pledge our allegiance to him, then he pours his blessings out upon us. Now, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity, though sometimes those can be present, but they are not always. What I'm talking about is peace with God, peace of heart, peace of mind, peace of spirit, the forgiveness of your sins, the cleansing of your conscience, and an absolution from the fear of death. Because those who are in Christ are no longer condemned. Amen? Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading. I want you to to recognize the imagery there. The creator of the universe, the holy and righteous God, the Lord God Almighty is pleading with you. Think about that. He has no need to plead for anything from anyone. He is complete in himself. He does not need us. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need Calvary Chapel Southwest Metro. He would be just fine if we didn't even exist. It would not take away from him one iota. And yet he's pleading with us to be reconciled to him. He is begging us to receive this offer of reconciliation and this offer of reconciliation he has not only extended to us, but he has entrusted us with that we might extend it to others. We are his ambassadors. He's given to us, verse 18 said, the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, you and me, together today, we, along with Paul, along with the Ephesians, we then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. When is it time to share the gospel? Now. When is it time to plead with others to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Now. When is it time for us as a church, as a congregation to get busy about the work that God has called us to do? It's now. 
Look, we may not be many, but we are mighty, right? We may not be many in number, but greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world. You look around today. I mean, look at, there, there are hardly any of us here, right? A bunch of us are missing this morning, aren't they? But even if we were all here, listen, I've done the numbers as a church. I think there are probably about between 50 and 60 of us if everybody showed up on the same Sunday, which rarely happens. But that's not a big church. That's not a lot of people. But you know what? I remember that Jesus started with 12 guys. And we've got more than 12 guys here, right? God, when Gideon came before him with his army, God said, you know, you got too many people there. (laughs) Let's get rid of a few because it's God that does the work. In Zechariah, we read that it's not by power nor by might, but by what? By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The spirit of God is the one that works in us and through us to do what he wants to accomplish. Turn with me to... Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two. Paul is using the imagery of a Roman soldier and the armor that that Roman soldier is garbed with. We've talked already about the the belt of truth that is wrapped around our waist and the breastplate of righteousness that we are to put on. And, And today we're focusing on the preparation of the gospel of peace. But I want us to think for a moment of the broader picture of the soldier. Because you see, that is what we are called to be. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 speaks very boldly of that in which Paul writes, you therefore my son, and he's speaking to Timothy whom he considered a son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the idea is what we have received, we are in turn to do what with? To give away. What we have received, we are to give. What we have learned, we are to teach. What we have heard, we are to speak. And what we have been given, we are to share. God is not nearly so interested in giving to us as he is interested in giving through us. And that applies not only to material resources, but that also applies to the revelation of the word of God. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Is it going to be difficult at times? Absolutely. Are you going to be rejected by those to whom you speak? Yes. Is that a price that is too heavy to pay? Absolutely not. Verse four says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So whose pleasure do we serve at? We serve at the pleasure of God. 
It isn't about pleasing your pastor. It isn't about pleasing your spouse. It isn't about pleasing yourself. It is about pleasing the one who enlisted you in his service. It is about pleasing our God. Amen? That is our mission. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul said, you know what? Yes, I suffer. I'm not going to deny it. I suffer for this gospel. But you know what? It's worth it because the result is that other people are being saved. There was an old... English preacher, can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he made the comment that if we truly knew what hell was like, we would gladly crawl across an ocean of broken glass to keep one sinner from going there. Paul is saying, hey, the suffering, the rejection, the fear, the anxiety, all of the things, it's worth it if I can lead just one person to Christ. This, verse 11 says, is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In other words, God is not going to give up on you. God is not going to give up on you. And God is not going to give up on those that he wants to reach through you either. Paul goes on to write in verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent. Be diligent. I love the word diligent. It challenges me because in so many ways in my life, I'm not diligent. There are many, many things in my life that I have not been diligent with and almost without fail, when I have failed to be diligent in something, it has cost me in the end. Have you experienced that in your own life? When you fail to be diligent about something, then negative things happen as a result of our lack of diligence. But this is something that we cannot afford to not be diligent in because the cost is not just us, but all those that we could have reached had we been properly prepared. Did you ever tie your shoes on accident? Did you ever put your shoes on accidentally? I mean, think about it. You get out of bed every morning and your shoes are probably somewhere on the floor next to your bed. You ever like swing your feet out of bed, put your feet on the floor and find suddenly that they're inside your shoes? Wow, how'd that happen? (laughs) I mean, statistically, that's more likely than the Big Bang Theory, isn't it? I mean, the shoes are there, the feet are there, they're in relatively the same place. 
I mean, shouldn't that have happened at some point that you accidentally put your shoes on? But it doesn't happen, does it? When you put your shoes on, you're putting your shoes on on purpose. When you put your shoes on and you tie those shoes, you're tying those shoes on purpose. You are being diligent to tie your shoes. And you do it every day, don't you? Unless you're wearing slip-ons. But even then, you make sure your foot is in there. Snug and secure. You're being diligent to put your shoes on. Well, you know what? We are to put on the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to be purposeful in preparing ourselves to share the gospel. We are to intentionally prepare ourselves to be an ambassador for Christ so that when we encounter those who have not heard, we cannot let them leave us without having heard. Amen? We're to pray for opportunities. When we wake up in the morning, the prayer on our lips should be, Lord, help me to be your ambassador today. Lord, bring someone into my path today that needs to hear your gospel that needs to hear that you love them and that you want them to be at peace with you. Lord, give me that opportunity. Look, if it was enough for Paul to beg them, if it was enough for Christ to beg through through him, if it was enough for God to implore them, then it ought to be enough for us to ask him to give us the opportunity to do that which he has called us to do. That good work that he's prepared in advance for us to walk in. Because we are ambassadors of Christ. And an ambassador doesn't do his own will. An ambassador doesn't proclaim his own message. An ambassador does the will and proclaims the message of the one that sent him. And the one that is sending you has a message that he wants you to declare to the world. And that is that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his son and that he who has the son has life and that he who does not have the son of God does not have life. And that if they will believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, the scripture tells us they will be saved. But you are the messenger I'm the messenger. We are the messengers. That responsibility has been allocated to us. Now there will come a day when that message will be entrusted even to angels. We read about it in the book of Revelation as the angels declare from heaven, but you know what? By that time, it's gonna be too late for so many people. And until that day, that message of the gospel has been entrusted to you and I. God has given us an incredible privilege that we could be the channels through which the truth of his word flows. But we need to be diligent, verse 15 says, to present ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you know what that says? I want you to think about it in the positive and I want you to think about it in the negative. I want you to think about what it is saying and I want you to think about what it is implying through the opposite of what it says. Be diligent to show yourself approved. Workmen who do not need to be ashamed 
who are able to rightly divide the word of truth. So if we reverse that, that means that if we are not able to rightly divide the word of truth, then we ought to be ashamed of ourselves because we haven't been diligent. Think about that. As a Christian, I am to be diligent to understand the gospel message well enough so that I can properly explain it to another person. And if I can't do that, then I haven't been diligent to prepare myself and I ought to be ashamed. Look, don't get mad at me. Paul said it, right? I just helped you understand the flip side of what he's saying. If one side of the coin says, if you are diligent and you show yourself approved and you are able to rightly divide the word of truth, then you don't need to be ashamed. But if you aren't being diligent and you don't study to show yourself approved, a workman who's able to rightly divide the word of truth, then then the opposite is true. Then we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. As a believer, it should embarrass me if I have been so lackadaisical in my commitment to God that I can't or am not willing to explain the gospel to somebody who needs to hear it. I'm not trying to condemn you, but I am trying to encourage you to do a self-assessment. Ask yourself the question. If someone came up to me and asked me how to become a Christian, could I answer them? Would I be bold enough to answer them? We are to always be ready to give an explanation for the hope that lies within us. Amen? And that doesn't just apply to to those who are Christian workers. That applies to all of us. That applies to you. It applies to me. It applies to, to every person who walks with the Lord. We are to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that when we walk, we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which we have been called. So that when we step on those traps that the enemy has laid for us, we can remember that it's not our righteousness, but his righteousness. That it's not our sinlessness, but his sinlessness. That yeah, we, we step in it sometimes, but God picks us up and puts us on our feet and gets us back on the road that we need to be walking, amen? Because the righteousness that we have is not our own. It's his because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are prepared for every trap that the enemy lays for us, every attack that he brings against us. Why? Because we stand firmly planted in the gospel. Amen? And let's be prepared to take that which we have received and freely give it to those who have yet to hear. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, 
for your exhortation. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you have entrusted to us, (laughs) that you have entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, equip us, prepare us, embolden us, and lead us as we seek to fulfill your mission in this world. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us, Father, to walk in obedience to you. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner that is pleasing to you. Help us to walk having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Thank you for your son who died for us. Thank you, Lord, for raising him from the dead. Thank you for giving us the promise of eternal life. And may that be, Lord, a message that is too good to keep to ourselves. But open the doors of opportunity for us to be your ambassadors and to share the truth of your gospel with others. Open our mouths that we might speak and proclaim with boldness the beautiful message of the cross of Jesus Christ so that we can take the battle to the world and to the enemy and and be instrumental in the efforts of your kingdom and of your spirit to bring many sons to glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand this morning. If you need prayer for any reason, I'd love to pray with you today. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and you have not done so, as I look around a crowd of this size, so many of us here today, I recognize that most of you probably know the Lord already. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't, today is the day of salvation. If you need prayer for any reason or if you want to pray together for someone in your life that you've been praying for, I'd count it a privilege to pray for them with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Amen.